to Maritime AgCast, the podcast dedicated to the farmers and the farm community of the Maritimes. We will discuss all things related to the livestock industry with local, regional and national guests, as well as keep you up to date with current markets and industry events. Today, we'll be joined by Jennifer Ferguson, a registered dietitian to discuss nutrition on the farm. Jennifer is a registered dietitian with a private practice in Toronto, Nova Scotia. She loves everything about food, most of all eating it. She collects recipe books and a perfect day is one spent creating in the kitchen to share with her family and friends. She has been a dietitian for more than 25 years and is still passionate about helping people connect with nutrition and food and their health while enjoying every bite. Jen, welcome. Thanks for being with us today. Good morning, Brad. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. I know we've worked a little bit with you in the past doing some workshops for producers and for our office folks. So I thought this would be another great platform for us to get together and and talk a little bit about nutrition and healthy eating in in the context of farming. Sounds like a good way to start my morning. (laughs) So let's start with a little bit of background about you. Like you're not just a regular dietitian, you're a regular dietitian with a background, a bit of a background in agriculture. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I grew up on a hobby farm pigs, in fact, which sort of encourages my enjoyment of of those little beasts. Um, I was in 4-H for a very long time. I married dairy farmer. He isn't on that family farm anymore, but that's that's where he was when we met. And I've lived in agricultural world all my life. So it's sort of a natural thing for me to connect the food and the nutrition part to the, the growing of where food comes from, that whole package that goes with agriculture. Excellent. I think that's one of the things that I appreciate about your perspective is the appreciation and knowledge of growing the food and the appreciation and knowledge of the nutrition and eating the food as well. Well, you can't you can't eat without knowing where food comes from. And part of that um, healthy appreciation of food and the mindfulness around food is understanding a little bit about where it comes from, but also extracting that to the gathering of food. So whether it's growing it yourself, whether it's going to the market or the grocery store, wherever it is, part of that process, taking it home and figuring out what you're going to do with it. And that's all part of the process of eating it. Eating and health attached to food doesn't just start with when you put food in your mouth. It's it's the whole process that leads up to it. Um, And we're really lucky, or I'm really lucky, I guess, where I live. I'm I'm surrounded by different forms of agriculture. So whether there's crops or there's bees or there's cattle or sheep, all of the different livestock that are around. It's I've grown up in an area where I've been able to see a lot of those things. I don't have firsthand knowledge, obviously, of all of them, but it's it's really nice to see that on your drive to work, on your drive wherever you're going in Nova Scotia, that you can look around and you can see surrounded by agriculture and know that some of the food that I eat is grown by the people that are right around me. Excellent. And and that's one of the things, and we're going to have Jimmy Lorraine on a future episode. And I grew up in Jimmy's backyard, basically. And I remember when he had the meat shop going, he said, yeah, I sell meat every day, but it's really about selling the experience and connecting with the people and them connecting with you and knowing how their food is produced and why it's produced the way it is and why it's sold the way it is. That was actually one of the main reasons that he got into the meat shop in the early 2000s. That is a really important part of food. And unfortunately, I guess not everyone gets to experience that just because of of the way the way life is. And that's not a, a negative thing. It's just 
we aren't all as connected just through different circumstances in life. We're not always connected. Some of us have the opportunity to be in that hands-on production like me. I've got my little vegetable garden that's happening out there. And I was really excited last night. I had new potatoes, fresh green beans, and a zucchini out of my garden. So <laughs> it, as I swatted off the mosquitoes, <laughs> I got to go out and pick that, brought it into the house, scrubbed her all up. And that's what we had for dinner last night, in addition to obviously the other stuff was there. But everyone doesn't have the space to be able to grow stuff in their backyard. So it's really fantastic that at least locally, we have producers who do that and make it accessible to consumers through whether the roadside stands or the farmer's market or even the grocery store, because there's some local stuff that shows up in the grocery stores if you know what you're looking for. So I remember early on when we started talking about some of the workshops and work we wanted to do together in the winter of uh, early winter of 2022, one of the things we really want to focus on is health and nutrition of farmers. And I think I told the story about when I was a kid helping dad on the farm as well. Like you get up, you make your sandwiches, you take them in the tractor, they're sitting in the heat all day, you drink your warm can of lemonade, jam in your Mars bar. And probably not the best thing to do. So we're going to talk a little bit today about staying energized through the workday for farmers and some snacks. So can you just give us a little bit of kind of the the idea or theory behind snacking and meals and how you keep your body energized through the day? So that's a really great sort of topic, because like you, I remember now I wasn't usually in a tractor. I was usually out in the field and all of these warm days have reminded me vividly of gathering up hay bales <laughs> in a field <laughs> and yeah. being warm, very, very warm. And the gallons of fluid that we drank, Kool-Aid being one of the things, and I can remember that vivid color. But when you're thinking about how warm it is, Certainly, hydration is a really important part of that. So I would lean towards maybe not so much the Kool-Aid as the (laughs) hydrating fluid, given that uh, learning that I had. But snacks and uh, meals make up a really important part of how we energize ourselves through the day. And the same as fueling the equipment that you need to, to use through your day. You have to fuel your body the right way. So the right way looks different for everyone. And certainly timing is one of the big things. So having whatever you choose to eat first thing when you get up and your day starts, snacks can be kind of the bridge between those meals because as anyone who has ever worked on a farm knows that the best laid plans often go sideways. And when they go sideways, they usually don't involve feeding me or the person that's that's, uh, having to deal with that. So you packing your snacks or your lunch to take with you is the first really important part in that fueling yourself well for the day. The second part of that is what do you put in there? So an ideal energizing kind of thing is as simple as looking at that healthy plate that we get from Canada's food guide and thinking about including some vegetables and fruit and or could be both, might just be one, some grain products. So whole grains are the, the one that we lean to because they provide longer lasting energy due to the fiber in them. And then a protein source in there. So it's really important to have all three parts of that as a meal, because that's what helps provide us with steady, long lasting energy to get us between our meals. So everybody's idea of of what goes in their lunch is different. Obviously, if you're driving a tractor, you want to, I haven't met very many farmers that when they're in a tractor that they actually stop 
and eat their lunch. They're usually driving while eating. So I would certainly encourage thinking about the safety aspect of needing at least one hand on that steering wheel. <laughs> so sandwiches tend to be the thing that we're, we're packing up to take with us because those are very portable and they're easy to eat with one hand and still safely be able to, to do some other things. But I also remember the people who pack their lunches in like a little brown paper bag and they're sitting in a hot tractor cab, not feeling so great after maybe having eaten some of that. So thinking about food safety is really important when you're packing your lunch and a bag that if you have a food that needs to be cold, pack either a frozen water bottle or a, like a freezer pack or something in there so that your lunch stays cold and prevents the opportunity for foodborne illness to present a problem. Yeah, I think that's the thing that kind of other than just the sheer amounts of lemonade we drank was, you know, you, you get an egg salad sandwich or a flakes of ham sandwich or a roast beef sandwich with mayo on it and a cheese slice. And by the time you get it, it's all soggy and doesn't really taste right, but you're hungry enough that you're going to eat it anyway, that, uh, you know, I'll still remember that my entire life. So one of the things you talked about there, and we kind of try to weave this into a lot of episodes is just the planning part of it. So if you plan for your day, either early in the morning or the day before, you know, how does that make your meal planning or your snack planning that much easier rather than getting up, you know, the cows are out, you're already late for the day. Now I've got to think about lunch or, you know, now I skip lunch or don't have any snacks with me. What, what's the importance of planning either a couple of days out or maybe planning for the week if you know, you know, this past week for us, other than one day has been super sunny. I see balers going everywhere. Uh, and I bet you nobody did a weekly meal plan for the hayfield. So like all of our things in life, um, when you have a plan, it often makes it easier to execute it. So the thing about meal planning is that people sort of think about, oh, well, I have to eat. It's, it's going to happen anyway. You go to the grocery store, you get your stuff. But the reality is if you have a thought process earlier in the week, even like, even as you said, the night before, because first thing in the morning, if you're running late, you've already got all these things of what's on your list of what has to get done. That can get shuffled to the bottom. And then all of a sudden there you are and you're starving and you can eat the tractor um, steering wheel, but you don't have anything with you. So certainly the first part of the planning is a identifying that, okay, I'm going to pack some stuff to take with me. The second part is actually putting it on your grocery list so that when you go to the grocery store, you actually buy it because availability is the number one reason that we eat something. If it's not there, we can't eat it. So making sure that it's there is the first part of that. The next piece of that is sort of doing the prep work to decide it's ready to go. So all I have to do is just pick it up when I'm running out the door, which is why I always encourage people to try, even though I know days are long and sometimes you're getting home really late. And the very last thing you want to do is pack your lunch. Trying to do it the night before, at least part of it the night before means that in the morning when you're trying to get out the door, some of it's already done. So even if you don't have time to do the whole thing, you've at least got part of it. What that kind of can look like is deciding whether you want to purchase some sort of healthy convenience items or whether you want to do the work yourself at home. Sometimes you may decide to do that. Other times it might just be faster, more efficient, and means that it's available if you bought it ready to go. 
Yeah, so, so that's a good segue into kind of my next thinking or, or pathway I wanted to go down here. And the, the first thing before we get into convenience foods is thinking about not just your meal planning for your lunches, but your overall weekly meal plan and saying, okay, if we have a roast pork tonight, then you know either tomorrow we're having roast pork sandwiches or tomorrow is hot pork sandwiches for dinner. And thinking about it not in the context of a single day, but over a couple of days as well. So that's the other really big benefit of planning meals and food in general, whether it's your weekly meal thing, whether it's the snacks, whether it's what you're going to pack in your lunch. Everybody is talking about the cost of food right now. And making sure you've got a meal plan is one of the ways that you can make your grocery budget go a little bit farther, which everybody wants to do that. But it also means that that whole process of what am I going to eat, when am I going to eat it, and making sure we're reducing food waste by using up what we already made. Those things are all part of that planning bit. And that's kind of, it's the nice added benefit of taking a few minutes to make that meal plan. So as you say, like if you roast a pork or roast a chicken, although I'm not sure there's too many people turning their oven on this week, but maybe you bought like a, a roasted chicken from the grocery store, or maybe you did a slow roast on your barbecue or in your smoker or whatever, and you've got a bigger protein piece. Think about all the things that you can do with that. And maybe you're not even thinking about using it as a main meal. Maybe you're roasting a chicken or a piece of beef or pork, and your sole purpose is to have that as things to be able to put in your roast beef sandwich for a week because you know your week is going to be kind of bonkers. Like the reality of, I think, most um, most people on a farm in the summertime, this is the busiest time of their year for most of them. So the reality is I don't very much, there's very many people that would say that they have lots and lots of time to spend in the kitchen dealing with meals. So anytime they can make something that can be used in multiple ways is going to save them time, which is, is always a nice thing. Atlantic Stockyards Limited has been Atlantic Canada's major livestock market for over 60 years. The stockyards attract buyers regionally as well as extending into central Canada. Livestock auctions occur every Thursday with cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, rabbits and poultry all featured. Additional information such as previous market reports, feeder sale dates and vaccination forms can be found on AtlanticStockyards.com. So one of the things that we've already done a bit of a workshop here in the office, and I think is one of the coolest things that I never really thought of before is turning those leftovers into something better than a sandwich or a wrap. And the the workshop we did here with you, I think was incredible. Like I forget, we made some sort of spicy pork salad, but can you talk a little bit about, you know, spicing up or making those leftovers turn into something healthy, nutritious, fulfilling? but not just a sandwich on a piece of oatmeal bread? Some people have this really negative um, association with leftovers. Me, I love leftovers because it means less work at, at mealtime. But that being said, not everyone likes to eat the exact same meal today as they do tomorrow. So I tend to get people to start thinking about a food plan or plan overs. So if I'm grilling chicken breasts, can I grill two extra ones? And then the two extra ones, okay, yes, I could make it into a sandwich and that's lovely. And there's lots of ways to swap up your sandwich if you want some differences to do that. But 
when you think back to our sort of our food guide and the need to include those three parts, the protein part, the grain part, the fruit vegetable part, there's no rules that say your lunch has to be your protein between two slices of bread with a handful of vegetables or a piece of fruit on the side. That's lovely. And if you enjoy that, that's wonderful. But could you look in your fridge and see what other things you've got left? So do you have a little bit of pasta or rice left? Because all of us, when we're making meals, very rarely do we cook exactly the right amount so that it all gets used up. But have a look in there and see what else you can do. So my favorite thing in the summer is I cook a little bit of extra noodle, it doesn't matter what kind, um, or rice, quinoa, whatever sort of grain I've got going on, and then extra vegetables. So whether they're cooked or whether they're just ones that I'm grabbing out of my garden. So now everything is sort of growing out there. I've got leafy greens all over the place. So I heat up my grain thing, toss some of the leafy greens in there, and then pick a protein, whether it's canned beans or whether it's last night's leftover chicken, whatever it is, toss her all in a bowl and then drizzle a little bit of salad dressing on it. So the salad that we did at, at the office, we did that purposely for people to be able to take to work. So it was a whole cold salad. People eat pasta salad and potato salad all the time, but we think about it. I mean, when I think back in my brain, it was macaroni noodles with a creamy dressing and there was nothing else in it which great but there's no rule that says that I can't put the noodles with the creamy dressing and like that's one part of my plate then add the vegetable part and the protein part to that so that I get a whole meal deal in one little container yeah I think that's the creativity that you know I like to think I'm a fairly decent cook but even some of those things I never really thought of and, you know, when with the busy you are, probably the less you think. Um, but in reality, the preparation will save you time in the long run. So so switching gears a little bit, let's talk a little bit about those convenience foods or convenience snacks that you talked about. So a little bit of a, a history. If anybody's looking to go back another memory trip with Brad here, I can still remember going down to Gary Gilby's store just by the Onslow Junior High when I was a kid. Uh, when we didn't have sandwiches made and they would send me down on my bicycle and I would bring back a bag full of pre-made sub sandwiches, convenient, expensive, not overly tasty. Part of that is we see more and more convenience foods on grocery shelves all the time. And I don't know, this is maybe a bit of a rabbit hole, but whether or not it has, it's directly related to people's ability or time or willingness to prepare from scratch. But what's your take on those convenience foods and how to incorporate them into your day, either as your breakfast, dinner, uh, or supper, or as snacks? So that could be a really big rabbit hole. But one of the things that people often associate convenience with unhealthy, and that's not necessarily the case. I think the market in general has responded to people's time crunch and their desire to eat well, but also to be able to do things fairly quickly. And, and we're a society on the move or on the move again. The last couple of years have shown us that <laughs> things kind of have changed a little bit. But one of the things that is really interesting is the abundance of foods that make it easier and faster to get meals or snacks ready to go 
and also are transportable, but also are fit in that category of foods that we think about as part of that healthy plate. So when you sort of walk around the grocery store, there's lots of them there. The big difference is price and your time is a valuable thing. And sometimes we decide, you know, I'm going to buy the bag of pre-cut vegetables or pre-cuts, whatever. Sometimes you're going to buy the, the bag of whole and cut it up yourself. Depending on the day you're having or the week you're having might help guide that choice. Cost obviously is part of that and everyone has a different um, barometer for where that's going to be. But when you go around the grocery store, there are a lot of foods that can help you make that quick lunch, even if it's like the time scramble in the morning. There are foods that you can have in your cupboard, in your fridge, and in your freezer that will help you pull together a meal fairly quickly. Now, it might not be the traditional sandwich with the apple, but that's okay. It could be a small can of tuna, a package of whole grain crackers with a piece of fruit. And there you go. But if those aren't in your kitchen already, it's it's harder to do that. I'm very guilty. And actually, Paula, my wife and I were talking about this the other day about how when we first started dating, her main job in the kitchen was to shred cheese if we were having tacos. And how very quickly we just went to buying bag shredded cheese. Significantly more expensive, like probably 40% more expensive than buying a block of cheese. But it's convenient and we just hate grating cheese. <laughs> Another one is sliced mushrooms. So I'm an economist, so I'm kind of cheap. And I can remember mushroom, like sliced mushrooms being 20 cents more package than whole mushrooms. And I always said to myself, I'm never going to buy sliced mushrooms. And now I don't buy whole mushrooms because for whatever reason, slicing them is, you know, the four minutes it takes to slice mushrooms from making a stir fry isn't worth that 20 cents anymore. <laughs> like it's, right. So that's that's the point that everyone has different different things that, that are valuable to them in that. So when I'm looking at um, sort of the convenience stuff, let's talk in the produce department. So there's wonderful cut vegetable things that can be put directly into like grillers or put in your oven that they're already cut up. They've got seasoning on them yeah. and you can shove them in. You can also still buy the whole ones and cut them up yourself. And that's great. There's different, even if you think about like the vegetable trays and the fruit trays, most people think about those as only as an entertaining thing. But you know what? If you were that same kid on the bike now rolling down the road to get something for lunch, maybe that would, but that could be part of a lunch. So you buy one of those at the start of the week and you've got this whole collection of cut up vegetables and fruit that are ready for you to just sort of put some in a container. Maybe you just take the whole container with you, but do make sure you take cold packs to keep cut fruit and vegetables cold. <laughs> There's like places that you can buy sandwiches, whether it's the grocery store, whether it's the drive through like there's lots of those sorts of opportunities there. But even if you're thinking about your weekly shop, there are foods within the grocery store that are packable kind of things. We think about like mini pitas or whole grain tortillas. And then you go to different deli departments, you can get hummus, you can get tzatziki, you can get guacamole. So those are all kind of ready to use foods that you can purchase and have in your home. Whether you buy the big package that you then package up in just the amount that you need for your lunch, or you choose to buy the individually packed ones. And again, that depends on what everybody's needs are. When you walk through the meat and the seafood department, there are foods there that are quick cooking items. A lot of them you can buy sort of 
small roasts that will cook in like 20 to 30 minutes as opposed to the great big ones that are going to take a few hours and you're going to heat your house up. Again, depends on what it is that you're looking for. If you keep strolling farther into the grocery department, there's canned beans, there's canned vegetables, there's small like individual cans of tuna. Now, I don't recommend like the big can of tuna or salmon and the can opener in your tractor, yeah. <laughs> but there, there are now on, on the shelves, there are individual single packages. There's some lunch packages done up with crackers and tuna in them. The retail world has evolved to help us make some of those choices to make them a little bit easier, but we do need to put a plan in place to have them. So they have to get on your grocery list in order to get into your cupboard. Exactly. And I think that leads us very, very nicely into the next topic in budgeting, right? You've mentioned that, you know, we're all really concerned right now with inflation, the way things are going, costs of food, obviously you pay for convenience no matter where you're at in the economic cycle and the cost of buying a can of tuna and a box of crackers versus buying the little cloverleaf prepackaged meals. Can you talk a little bit about setting out not only the weekly meal plan, but setting out that budget and how to allocate to the meal planning and the snacks to make sure that you're maximizing that budget? So actually putting a number on it would be impossible for me because everybody's number is different and their their kind of scale is different. But what I can say is meal planning, A, having a plan of what you want to eat this week and then translating that into a grocery list is going to save you money when you go into the grocery store. Because if you go into the grocery store without, or wherever you go to get your shopping done, if you go without a list and without a food plan for your week, you are more likely to overbuy stuff. You are also more likely to buy impulse things. Now, sometimes impulse things can be great because maybe you go in and there's a really terrific special on a food that you really like. Before you buy that, you've got to think, okay, in my food plan for this week, where is that going to fit? And is there something that I'm going to replace it with? So on my list, maybe I had, I don't know, carrots on my list. And there's a terrific sale on broccoli. I like both of them, but here they are. If I buy that broccoli and it's a terrific sale, but I take it home, I put it in the fridge and I don't eat it. And then I find it a week later when it's kind of a funky color and it's all of this stuff. I haven't actually saved any money. I've actually wasted it because I bought, I've spent money on food and I haven't used it. So that's part of that whole business of having a food plan. It can save you money up front because when you go and buy your weekly shop, you're spending money on the things that you know that you need. The other side of that is we save money on reducing food waste. And that's a really big part of our household budget is is sort of our grocery money. And if you look at some of the stats that are out there, we're spending upwards of 1500 to 1700 I think it depends on which, which sort of source you look at. But there's a lot of money being spent on food <clears throat> that is getting thrown either in the garbage or the compost. So that's a, that's a lot of money. So that whole business of having a meal plan when I sort of buy my groceries at the start and then how am I going to use them, whether I'm going to use them at dinner, whether I'm going to turn them into a snack for the next day, because things that come from dinner could easily be snack items or whether they're going to turn into lunch or supper the next day or a day or two later. The other thing to think about is 
that we don't always have to use the food that I cook today, tomorrow. Maybe I make a big pot of chili, but you know what? It's really stinking hot tomorrow and I don't feel like eating chili. Then what I need to do is store it. I need to tuck it in the freezer, whether it's in a batch that I use for a meal or it's dividing it into smaller lunch kind of size portions, stick it in the freezer and then pull it back out when I need it. Because then I have, I've, I've kind of put my food in suspension <laughs> so that I'm not using it because leaving a pot of chili in your fridge because it's too stinking hot to eat it the next day, you want to you wanna deal with it within three days. So that's the other part of that, making a plan. That's part of your plan is can I use whatever it is that I'm cooking within that three-day window? And if I can't, what am I going to do with it? Am I going to put it in storage, so in my freezer, um, or am I going to use it somewhere? Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things that I particularly have taken more consideration of the last year or so, particularly as we've seen costs slightly increases. When you make soup, make sure that instead of just putting in the fridge, say, well, we'll have it tomorrow, is we actually now say when it cools off, we just freeze it automatically. And if we want to have it tomorrow, we'll take it back into the freezer or something like that. So rather than it then sitting there for two days and going, well, geez, now we got to throw it in the composter. So that's a that's a management shift we made in our house to make sure that we're not wasting those leftovers, especially things that we know we'll eat eventually. The next thing I'd like to talk about a little bit, and that's about food safety. So talk a little bit about usually use those leftovers within two to three days. So I assume that's if you're leaving them in the fridge. But if you are storing something like a chili or freezing something like that, you know, can you talk a little bit about how quickly we should be using those things up? And then I'd really like some really helpful hints on freezer management so things don't get lost in the back. If you have any, any helpful tips with that. Um, oh, geez. That's sort of like the thing of the freezer. So yeah, maybe we'll save that for another episode <laughs> or a personal consultation. One of the two. There you go. So on average, leftovers should be used up within two to three days, three being sort of the outside maximum. And that is when it is held properly. So whatever you've cooked, you need to cool it down. Then it needs to go in your fridge. Now you obviously do not want to put something that is smoking hot right into your fridge because you're going to warm your warm the things up. Um, a lot of that depends obviously on outside temperatures. When it's like 30 some odd degrees, we do the window of the sort of danger zone is it shrinks. So you have to be pretty careful about that. So if you've got a big pot of soup or chili or whatever, one of the faster ways to cool it down is to divide it into smaller things. So exactly what you described, putting it in smaller containers to freeze it will actually help cool it faster. And that actually is a really great thing to be able to do. So aside from that, the other part of putting stuff in the freezer is using the right kind of containers. So glass ones are not great things to go in a freezer because they can break. But we also want to be careful about like that whole plastic business. So reusable containers are really great. I actually, I sort of channeled my inner grandmother. I remember laughing and kind of wondering about this because she would wash plastic bags and she'd have like this little clothesline <laughs> above the sink of plastic bags. And as a kid, I was like, Graham, really? What? <laughs> here I am. Um, yeah. I buy like the series Ziploc bags, like the, the yeah. heavy duty ones, and I, re I wash them 
I reuse them, I dry them out, and I put them back in the freezer because in your you're absolutely right about the freezer sometimes becoming a zone of holy moly, what's in there? Freezer bags take up less space and you can suck the air out of them. They're flat, they're easier to, I find them easier to, to freeze and to store. Now, how long can stuff stay in the freezer really depends on, on what you're freezing it in. So the top of your fridge or the bottom of your fridge freezer is a little different than say a chest freezer because the temperature zones are different and how often things get opened are different. There's some really good information on Health Canada about how long different things last in the freezer. Food quality is, is one of the big things that happens because everybody has taken something out of the freezer that's been freezer burned. So it's really important to wrap things correctly, or like put it in the right kind of container to reduce that chance of freezer burn, which negatively affects food quality more so than food safety usually. Not always, obviously. The other part of that food safety thing is thawing stuff correctly. So taking it out and leaving it on the counter all day, it's not a food safe way to thaw something. Um, what about if you just leave it in the sink? We put ours in the sink all day. <laughs> well, if it's in the sink all day, it's not much different than being in a counter all day. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of ways that you can thaw stuff quickly in a food safe way. So you can use your microwave. And obviously it needs to be cooked directly after it comes out of the microwave. There are ways that you can thaw stuff using bowls of cold water. So completely submerge the food in cold water and, and bring it to thaw. But again, you want to use it. You want to cook it right away. The safest way to thaw foods is in your fridge. That takes time. And that whole planning thing, that's part of that meal planning thing. So if you need that piece of ground meat for dinner tomorrow night it's better to take it out the night before put it on a plate on the bottom shelf of your fridge and let it thaw overnight anyone who has ever tried to make spaghetti sauce is the thing that it always happens to me you're chasing around the frozen half frozen hunk of ground whatever around the pan and scraping off the, the ledge that that cooks flip it over <laughs> thawed food cooks much quicker so having that meal plan is another reminder and helpful in that whole quick meal thing that, oh yeah, I got to take that out of the freezer, thaw it out, it's easier to cook. Absolutely. And we get caught sometimes like that too. And you're right. There's nothing more frustrating than trying to cook a frozen pound of ground something to make either tacos or spaghetti. So you've already talked a little bit about food safety on the road or on the tractor, or wherever the case may be, and, and making sure when you are packing your lunch for the day and your snacks for the day, doing that in a food safe way. So can you expand a little bit on that about, you know, the types of containers or coolers we should be using, how we pack them, what we should be packing them with to make sure that they stay in that safe zone and also don't become soggy or wet or messy or whatever the case may be inside the cooler at the same time? So first thing you have to think about is the size. So where are you going to be? How big of a container are you taking? And actually, how much food are you taking with you? Because you want to have a cooler that is pretty close to the size of the food that you're putting in it. Because if you've got a really big cooler and only have two things in it, A, it's a lot of wasted space. But it doesn't, it doesn't keep the cold next to the things that you want to stay cold. So freezer packs and keeping those in the freezer all the time so that they're ready to go with you is a really important thing. 
Some people like to make use of thermoses to either keep stuff hot or cold, which, whichever it is. And manufacturer's directions are really good things to follow with how to best make use of the thermos that you've got. As far as keeping things like enjoyable, palatable, that's a, a thinking about what are you putting together. So if you were making a sandwich, I would encourage that packing your sandwich to go for the whole day may not be the time you want to put juicy foods in it, like sliced tomatoes and sliced cucumbers, because when they are wrapped up, because you're, you're obviously, when you're making uh, foods to pack in your lunch, you're either wrapping them or you're putting them in a container that might be smaller than the plate that you would serve it on if you were eating at home. So it may get kind of soggy. That's that's one of the things that can happen. So if you really enjoy those foods with your sandwich, I would suggest put those in a separate container. And just before you go to eat them, you put them on it. Is that going to happen when you're in a tractor? Practically? Probably not. Or even if you're on the road driving somewhere. So if you're still thinking about making that balanced lunch with the three parts of the plate, then maybe today isn't the day you have sliced tomatoes on your sandwich. Maybe that's the day that you have the little cherry or grape tomatoes in a container on the side that you can munch along with that. Packing a food in the right container so it's the right size and making sure you've got the utensils to eat it. There's nothing worse than packing a pasta salad and forgetting to put the fork in the container because <laughs> it's messy. <laughs> So that's one of the other bits of that. There's all sorts of really slick storage containers that are out there. You can go to most any store and find different sizes. And that's something that's a good idea is to have a collection of reusable containers that are actually different sizes so that you can put your cut up fruit or vegetables in one. And maybe you put your dip in a separate one because you don't want it, you don't want it mixed together because that's the little thing. There are sandwich containers that you can get that you can package things separately. I've seen one of the new things that I've seen online is that it looks like a tackle box that's like a snack box. So it's got all these little dividers in it because some people would prefer just to eat little, little bits as they go through the day. Maybe they're not a traditional sandwich and vegetable person and that's okay. So they build this little tackle box that has all of these little individual healthy snacks. So they have some cheese and some cut up meat and they have little crackers or pita pockets or croutons or whatever it is, all the different parts of the the food guide, but it's in a little snack box, which is kind of a cool thing. Yeah, I've seen on TikTok too, they have like little layered, almost Tupperware type dishes as well, where, you know, they're fairly thin. They don't stack up to be real tall, but you know, you've got a little bit of a layer for each thing. Even at the grocery store, those reusable Rubbermaid containers, the little clear plastic ones, I, you know, I think are a very good investment. Let's talk a little bit specifically about energizing, nutritious quality snacks, right? So we've talked a lot about, you know, maximizing those leftovers, making sure you have that, that meal for the next day. Can we talk a little bit about timing your snacks through the day to make sure that you're not kind of going through that peak and valley, as well as what some of those really good nutritious snacks might be? So you hit on a couple of really important points there. So keeping our energy up is important to refuel regularly. So we look at kind of a window of between four and six hours. So if you had a meal that includes those three parts of the plate, that'll generally get you four to six hours. Again, depends 
on what you're doing and who you are. If you're having a really physically active day, you need to eat a little bit more often than that, but everyone's different. Snacks are a really good bridge between meals. So if you know that you're going to be four, five, six hours between meals, putting a snack in there is a really good thing. So where a meal, we'd like to have parts from the vegetables and fruit, protein and whole grain sections. Snacks might just be one or two of those sections. And that energizing part is making sure you've got something that has some whole grain in it. So crackers or a muffin or maybe a half a sandwich. And then with either some protein or some of those vegetables and fruits. So crackers and cheese are really portable, easy to deal with type of snack because you can cut up the cheese, as you said, like break the cheese the night before, but you can cut up the cheese and put it in a container and you've got some for the week because it'll store for a couple of days. Or nuts, seeds, they're really portable foods. One of my favorite energizing snacks that I make kind of jars of because it's shelf stable. So it's non-perishable. It's good at room temperature. You don't have to worry about the food safety part is dry cereal with dried fruit and some nuts and seeds in it. So I can make a bin of that, shake it all together, and it changes depending on what I happen to have at home. And then I can scoop that into a container, put the lid on it, and I can throw that in my bag. And I don't have to worry about it going kind of wonky if it's hot. It's going to be fine, and it's going to give me energy. And it has all three parts of that place on it. So that's a really kind of neat one that I like. Given that we're in Nova Scotia, and we've got right now in the peak of all of this terrific produce that's available, things like cherry tomatoes, snap peas, yellow or green beans with like a tzatziki dip or guacamole or even hummus. Those are really great, easy to eat foods. Now, those ones are perishable. They do have to have that food safety part. But there's like canned fruit. You can get individual cans of fruit. You can get the fruit purees that are great as a fruit or vegetable kind of option. Yogurt is another good sort of protein snack that gives you protein and carbohydrates. So it provides some energy there. There's lots of possibilities out there. And sometimes a snack might just be a small amount of your lunch. So maybe you, my, my favorite lunch to pack anywhere I go is peanut butter and jelly because <laughs> it, it's a really good thing that I wasn't allergic to peanuts because <laughs> I lived on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and they're still my favorite. So even half a sandwich is a, like that might be the snack that you have. And that might be the reality of the day, given how busy you were. You might pack a bunch of things for your lunch, for your snack, and you don't eat them in any particular order, but you have eat them when you have the availability. And when your stomach is going, hello, it's grumbling, I'm a little bit hungry, or it's been four or five hours since you last ate something, so that, that's always a good um, indicator is think about how long it was since I last ate and how long is it going to be until my next meal happens. And if that window is really long, having some foods with you is a good idea. So we're, we're getting close to our time here. One of the things I'd like to touch on just real quickly is some of the resources that you've noticed or that you recognize or could point out to some folks to help with meal planning, to help with choosing those healthy snack options. Where can you point us to find out more information? Obviously, my dietitian's kitchen is one of them, but uh, are there any others that you use for some of the inspiration for your work? 
I have actually found a lot of really interesting stuff on the different commodity board pages. I think they, they do a really nice job of providing a variety of different things out there. Health Canada, the Canada's Food Guide website, has some terrific resources that are there. They have recipes, they have meal ideas, they have lists for putting different foods together, which sometimes all people need is just a little bit of a bump of inspiration. They need that little nudge. It's just, and as you said, it's just you didn't think about it before. Obviously talking to a dietitian in your community or in your area can give you inspiration. And sometimes that's that's all you need. Dietitians aren't just there to help people when they're not feeling well. We like to help people stay well and we love food and we love to help people come up with new ideas and inspirations for how they can enjoy food in their own world, in the way that works for them. Thanks. Last but not least, how do people connect with you in the work that you do here in central Nova Scotia? So if you're looking for me, um, you can find me on my, via my website, um, com. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. And those channels are just to give people ideas for ways to enjoy food. So if you're looking for some inspiration of what maybe to have for lunch today, that might be an interesting place to check because that's, that's all that happens there is sort of seeing the, um, the ways to enjoy food And I really like to be able to make use of the local stuff that's around us. So that tends to be where I look first. So with that, I definitely want to thank you for being with us today. I I think we've kind of maxed our time. And we'd like to chat with you again any other time you're willing to come on. And uh, we look forward to some more of our workshops we're going to work on with producers and with some of those uh, office staff that support the producers on a regular basis. Always nice to have a chat with you, Brad. It was fun. Thanks. Don't want to miss any future episodes? Subscribe to a Maritime Acast today through Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast platform. This concludes another episode of Maritime Acast. We would like to thank our producer, the Agri-Commodity Management Association, Director Ashley, as well as Matt Whitehour and Micah Dahl-Anderson of ArchesAudio.com for providing the music you heard during this episode. Until next time, happy farming and keep feeding the Maritimes.